0: Our scripture reading today comes from the 14th chapter of the book of Luke, verses 7 through 14. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit in the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who would invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, or your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of God by the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Let us be in the spirit of prayer for just a moment. Holy God, we inch forward with open hearts this morning, hoping to hear a word for our lives. Give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom, your holy and infinite wisdom, to distinguish the one. From the other. Amen. This past summer we have been preaching a series entitled Walk With Me. Each one of us has been invited to carefully reflect on our personal walks with God. We have traveled paths like trust, compassion, reconciliation, serenity, and conflict studying how Jesus does it so that we can follow him more closely. And today is the last sermon in our Walk With Me series. Today on Labor Day weekend, our church honors traditions like the gathering of the waters and the coming to the table for nourishment and taking a three-day weekend to reflect and rest Jesus was born into a religious tradition that honored the tradition of rest each week and in very specific ways. And who would have thought that something as simple as taking a day off could actually become rigid and legalistic? So being who Jesus was, Jesus established the Sabbath not as a day of rest, but for, as a day for stirring up some trouble. According to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus attended a Shabbat dinner in the house of a prominent Pharisee, and he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. He was deformed and disabled. And so a conversation began around the table about whether or not it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus decided to use this as an opportunity to teach. His teaching was not about table manners or about dinner party etiquette, because you see, a dinner party in Greco-Roman world was like a middle school cafeteria. What you wear and how you present yourself and who you eat with told you everything you needed to know about a person. And I suspect if we ask the middle schoolers in our church, they tell us that things haven't changed a whole lot. And let's be truthful, our grown-up world hasn't changed much either. We can walk into a party and right away we know who we want to sit next to and who we don't. Adults, we establish ourselves in a different way by the universities we attend, and the people that we know, and the letters after our names, the jobs we've had, and the places we've traveled. It's not easy to hear Jesus' instructions. Sit at the lowest place at the table, he says. And he's not kidding about this. Take your plastic segmented tray with the square pizza and carton of milk, and scan that middle school cafeteria for the lowest place. Bypass the good-looking rich kids, and the athletes in their matching jerseys, and the band kids that have inside music jokes, and yes, even those awkward nerds who have each other on the robotics team. Jesus is telling us to look beyond those kids, to the far right corner of the cafeteria where the special needs kids sit, the ones that have para-aids, you know, the saints and the angels that carry their trays for them, the kids who are not really integrated with others at lunchtime. That's the place we need to choose to sit. It's a tough sell. It's hard to entertain living like this Humility was and still is a countercultural concept. It will gain you nothing, no prestige, no influence. Living like this will most likely harm your five-year plan. And yet humility is the mark of the followers of Jesus. The table visited by Jesus will challenge our sense of status and prestige, But when those invitations go out for the great banquet of God's restoration of all of creation, guess who's coming to dinner? The table is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. The table is the place where intimacy happens, where relationships are formed. It can be argued that Jesus came to the earth not to build a church, but to give birth to a table. Humility, unfortunately, is mostly lip service these days. People talk about humility as a virtue, but there is mostly false humility or the humble brag. There was a Barbara Barbara Walters interview in 2016 with the president where Donald Trump said, and I quote, I think I'm actually humble. I think I'm much more humble than you would understand. Unquote. Humility isn't something that you can say you have much more of. It isn't something to put on social media. Humility just doesn't work that way. Humility is not a strategy to manipulate ourselves to a better seat. It's not a way to get likes on Facebook. And it's not about devaluing ourselves either. It is not denying our own power or ability or prestige. Humility is about awareness. It's an awareness of people beyond ourselves. It's about denying man-made status and valuing another person's humanity. It is acknowledging that others have value just by being on the planet. Humility is about being on equal footing with the rest of humanity. The words humble, humiliate, and human all come from the same root word, humus. And humus is translated as on the ground or of the earth. Being human quite literally means being made of water and carbon, the stuff of the earth, the stuff of life. And yet we tend to forget how beautifully powerful and fragile we are. I was at an ordination once of a friend of mine, and someone said this. Beloved human, you live between your baptismal waters and the dust of the earth. When you doubt who you are, dance in your waters. And when you are tempted to take the glory, remember from dust you came And to dust you shall return. I heard a podcast a while ago with Cheryl Strayed, who wrote the best-selling book called Wild. She talked about the year she decided to write the great American novel. Her and her husband took out a credit card to live on so that Cheryl could spend her days in a cottage writing. Every day after Cheryl's husband went to work, she would get out all of her writing supplies, set it up on a table, and then watch mindless reality television. All day, every day. Instead of writing, Cheryl was numbing. She knew she was squandering this rare moment in time, and she had to ask herself some really hard questions. What if being an author wasn't her calling? What if all the schooling and all the dreams and all the aspirations were for nothing? What if she was already a failure before she even started? What do we do when we aim so high and aspire to be so great, and in reality, we are who we are, human? The great Flannery O'Connell once wrote, the true product of self-knowledge is humility. When Cheryl was supposed to be writing the great American novel, she had made a hard stop at humility. It was a moment of truth for her. And we all have these kinds of reckonings over the course of our lives. It's when you ask not about who you aspire to be, but about who you actually are. Cheryl had to surrender to her own mediocrity And strangely enough, that mediocrity changed the course towards greatness. What humility often teaches us is that we cannot adhere to the narratives that got us this far. When we are humble, we cannot rely on old skills, old patterns to move us forward. Boy, I am too familiar with that feeling. One of the lessons of my life is that I'd rather humble myself than have to, have to get so bad that God does it for me. Those experiences usually err on the side of humiliating. So I try to practice awareness. I notice when I get stuck with a narrative on a loop or when I start polling my friends about a decision, or when I gather like-minded people to back my cause, that's when my feet are nowhere near the ground and I'm in spiritual trouble. My practice of humility often includes asking, hmm, what if I'm wrong? Or what if there's more to the story that I will never know? Or How is the Spirit of God working in all of this? And I try my hardest to accept how things are, not how I would have them be. I really prefer not to have humiliation become my new spiritual practice. I want my spiritual practices to include, to include expanding my small perspectives and learning how to write new narratives for my life. But come on, I'm not perfect. I screw up plenty. I am both only human and I get to be human. And as a human, at least once a day, my resources and my practices fall short. I get well acquainted with my mediocrity and sometimes... I am humiliated. It is in those moments when my face is in the dirt that my faith in Christ makes the most sense. It is in those moments when I sense God chuckling at me and saying, okay, little humiliated one, now that you're back on the ground, dust yourself off, get on your feet, take my hand, walk with me. Amen.